Coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, by way of Stone Mountain, Georgia, birthed by the great state of South Carolina, is the Bryant Land Country Podcast, your place for any and everything in hunting, fishing, sports, and outdoor related, with heavy doses of randomness, guests, and an all-around good time. Here's your host, proud Gamecock, South Carolina Forever, AB3. Welcome to another episode of the Bryant Land Country Podcast. I am your host, AB3. Thank you for joining us this week. We are greatly appreciative for you to take the time to download, rate, subscribe, and review everything that you've done to help the Bryant Land Country Podcast, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, Radio Play, TuneIn app, whichever medium you use to consume your podcast. Hopefully you're consuming it right off of the brand new bryantlandcountry.com website. But either way, we are glad that you have taken the time to listen to the podcast. This week we have DJ Jones as the guest. DJ is a Florida native who kind of like myself is a southerner transplanted into the Midwest, uh, into the Minnesota area. DJ runs a uh, very exciting YouTube page where he's uh, taking the time to film some of his hunts uh, up in Minnesota and uh, Wisconsin. So we get into a conversation just a little bit about his athletic background, a uh, little football and stuff like like that and then just uh get his takes on some of uh his hunting experiences so not a whole lot to uh for me to jibber jabber about let's just dive in and you guys kick back and listen to my conversation with dj jones on the Brightland country podcast so you gotta really appreciate somebody who will take the time to talk to you while they're in the middle of ringing up fishing poles so uh first let me say uh thank you i i didn't mean to uh to interrupt the uh fishing progress yeah you're not you're not interrupting uh the fishing progress it's just i should have done it earlier you know I, I woke up a little bit later than what i normally would do today and i went jogging which i typically try to do at least maybe five days out of the week so i went jogging a little bit you know later than what i normally would for my normal routine and I got back, you know, to the house and I didn't feel tired. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and start running again. So I ran another two miles and came back and was like, all right, you know, now, now I'm feeling how I'm supposed to feel. And I went back inside. So I could have done it earlier, but I decided, you know, to go out and get my morning run. It's all good. And so it's funny because like I kind of, I jotted down a couple of things of how I wanted things to go in order or whatnot. But since you brought it up, the one thing that jumped out at me was I saw MMA and kickboxer. And now you telling me about the morning run and the jog five days a week. I mean, uh, so what, what's going on there? You, uh, you got like belts in, uh, kickboxing and whatnot where you are a former athlete or are you still, you know, like, um, well, doing some athletic competitions? What you got going on? Well, you know, I always try to keep something going on, you know, um, like my entire childhood, you know, I was a multi sport athlete, you know, I played football basketball and baseball growing up in north florida so being an athlete was something that was natural to me you know I've, I've had family members that were able to go off and play and do some great things at some of the local colleges and you know my next door neighbor ended up making it into the nfl in the second round his name is daniel thomas he ended up playing for the miami dolphins so growing up watching him playing football and stuff like that you know it really motivated me to be the next football star in our little community but 
as I got older, you know, I, I decided to stop playing the other sports because I found out that my, my true passion was football. I got really passionate about football. And it's almost like some of those typical stories that you hear, you know, how football is an escape for some people. Football was an escape for me, and it was something I was, I was really passionate about because I started playing it at a young age, you know, and my skills started to develop. I started to, to build, you know, brotherhoods and relationships with different people. I got to travel, and, you know, it was always fun winning and playing and you know, being a kid and having fun, you know, down in Florida, because, you know, Florida is a big football state, you know, um, it's basically like the, the college recruiting capital of the world besides, you know, Florida and Louisiana. So it's like, it's something that we eat, sleep, and we breathe down there. You know, we have a lot of kids because now I'm in the Midwest and I was able to look back and think back, you know, on how some of these kids in the Midwest, you know, they don't have that, that work ethic about them because, Growing up where I grew up from, you know, you have people that are dedicated to their grind 365 days out of the year. So as an athlete, if you want to get better, you got to continuously practice. You got to continuously work out. You got to eat healthy. You got to put yourself in that position to be a better football player. And for me, I'm not that big. So, you know, I'm about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, you know, in high school, I was like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, maybe. So I wasn't really that big. But what I was able to do for myself, and I always had a, you know, a dream of going off and playing, you know, college ball because I seen too many of my family members, you know, who were way better athletes than me. They were, you know, smarter than me academically. And they had a lot of opportunities from different colleges, but, you know, they didn't get to go to the colleges they wanted to go to due to some of these, you know, these powerhouses that are recruiting and they're getting some of the top kids in the entire country. And, you know, it was more of a situation where, you know, they wanted to go to the University of Florida when they should have went down to a Division One AA school where they were able to play. And growing up watching that, I knew that I didn't care what division I played in. I knew I was still going to make an impact. So growing up in high school, I was able to lead my division in 4A football. My senior year of high school, I was able to lead my division and the entire state of Florida in 4A in kickoff and punt return yardage. I think I had like 25 or 26 returns for close to close to maybe – almost 930, 940 yards. And the kicker about that was I didn't even do kickoff and punt return yards and that type of stuff until maybe four or five games into the season. So I know I would have easily broken over 1,000 yards if I, and, and kickoff return yardage if I'd have been able to do it from the beginning of the season. But it was one of those things where, you know, I was always overlooked as an athlete because, you know, I wasn't the worst. But then again, I wasn't the best with my work ethic always stood out so I was always the guy you know that was if anybody knows me knows I love talking trash and especially you know when it comes to sports like football I was one of those kids where it was almost like a a Jalen Ramsey type of trash talk kind of thing if if that can put it into perspective like I'm gonna I'm gonna talk trash to you I'm gonna talk trash to your coach I'm gonna talk trash to your cheerleaders and everybody that's coming to support you because I just want to be I'm just that competitive and a lot of kids (laughs) not the cheerleaders (laughs) yeah them too like I was that type of guy where everybody that supported you, I wanted them to feel bad for supporting you because when I'm getting ready to do to you in this type of game, you know, all your recruiters, the people that are talking to you, I want them to come and talk to me after the game, after after watching you go off to your Under Armour camps and your Nike camps, and, you know, and your Steve Spurrier and uh, Dan Mullen football camps, Urban Meyer football camps. And, you know, growing up down in Florida, you know, uh, I played against some of the best athletes in the world. I played against a guy that won a Heisman a few years ago at the University of Alabama who goes by the name of Derrick Henry. And 15 minutes in the opposite direction, uh, our school used to play Nice High School, which everybody knows that's the famous high school of one of the greatest college football quarterbacks of all time, Tim Tebow. So growing up down there, you know, if you if you 
if you wanted to be the best, you were going to have that opportunity to play against the best. And unfortunately for me, you know, I didn't get a lot of, I didn't get a lot of recruiting offers because of my school. It was a 4A school, which is kind of almost like mid-level. So it's like we played against some of the greatest athletes, you know, to play the game of football. And even guys like Derrick Henry, you know, we played against Division One athletes with at least two or three signed Division One athletes my senior year on every team. We might have played one team that year that did not have a Division One athlete on it. Being in that environment, I just took that hard work ethic, you know, and mentality, you know, every single week to practice. Like I was getting after people verbally and I was getting after people physically and it ended up getting me a little bit of recruiting offers. But, you know, I was able to get kind of misguided, you know, by my father, because as a child and recruiting violations were getting so prominent my senior year. And as these recruiting violations started to come up more and more, they have certain schedules the recruiters have to abide by. And me being only 17 years old, I wasn't allowed to talk to a recruiter because I was a child, they would have to talk to my parents in some of these recruiting processes. And I'm in school, I'm in class, and, you know, I'm getting emails and stuff, but they're actually talking to my father. My father had more dreams of me going to a place like the University of Florida, but I was only getting, you know, hard interest in some offers from some Division One AA schools that my father, you know, he felt like, you know, because you know, as a father, you always want the best for your kids. You know, you always want them to, to be at the best place they can be at, play for the best team that they can play for. And... I can't 100% say that it was my father's fault. I can't 100% say that, you know, things would have been different, but I'm, you know, I'm happy with the way things ended up going out. So what I was able to do is I was able to get with a bunch of my kids, uh, other kids from different schools my senior year um, from First Coast High School. Um, First Coast High School is, is a powerhouse in Northeast Florida. Oh, yeah. I've heard of, uh, heard of that school. Yeah, First Coast High School, the Buccaneers. And then just, just to think about the talent pool where, where I come from and where I played football at growing up, we would play teams with caliber athletes of Trinity Christian. We played against them. You know, we played against teams like, you know, like First Coast or these big 5A and 6A schools that are going off and they're winning state titles. Like, you know, we only play them, you know, once a year. So I'd always get jacked up to play these guys. But the year that I played First Coast High School, which which for them, you know, they had like, I want to say 13 or 14 Division One signees and to major Division One colleges. They had a kid by the name of Chris Black who was the number one wide receiver in the nation at the time, and he ended up – uh he was committed to Florida State. He ended up going to Alabama. And that was kind of my breakout game for them because they had a bunch of Division One scouts at that game. And I wanted to dominate those guys. Like, just hearing about them all week, I'm getting able to go on YouTube. I'm looking at all their highlights. And just I'm the type of person where, you know, I can, I'm self-motivated. I don't need people to motivate me to get up for a competition or for a fight, whether it be kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, mixed martial arts, you know, football weightlifting, whatever it may be, I, I've never needed anybody to motivate me. So playing against them, you know, that if I had to say that was probably one of my best games, it was one of my best games. I had like 13 tackles that game playing strong safety. And then I have five kickoff returns for like 231 or 231, uh, 231, 237 yards or something like that. And at this point in the season, first coast was shutting people out. So I was able to get the first kickoff return and take it back close to, you know, 51, 52 yards before I got pushed out of bounds. And we were able to drive the ball down the field and score. That game was just, it was a complete war, but it ended up turning out to be a blowout because, you know, like their talent ended up becoming overwhelming for some of our players. But I ended up being uh, the Burger King player of the week that week for my defensive efforts and for my special team effort. And I was the first player that year against First Coast to break over 200 yards in any form or category. So nobody passed for over 200 yards against them on their defense. Nobody rushed for over 200 yards or 100 yards. I was the first person that year, and it ended up getting me a little bit of publicity and a little bit of recruiting, you know, like interest from different schools after seeing what I'd done to such, you know, high-caliber talent. You know, um, their linebacking core that year, uh, they had a guy who went by the name of Reggie Northrop. He led the ACC 
at Florida State and tackles his senior year, like that type of talent. Um, we had a bunch. We had another kid from that from that team who uh, started at the University of Florida. We had another one that started at the University of North Carolina. You know, that's just their linebacking core. That's not even talking about their strong safeties that they had. You know, Tyrell ended up going to Florida State. You know, a big kid, 6'2", 215, 220 pounds, running a 4'4", close to almost a 4'3", you know, playing strong safety and free safety. So it's like playing against some of those guys, you know, competitively, like it, it brought the better out of me and it brought the best out of me. So it's like going through that type of stuff, I was able to take that hard work and that mentality into everything else that I was able to apply it to in life. So when I got to junior college, it's the same thing, you know. I had a couple guys that were in front of me that were, that were athletically, you know, I had no problem admitting if somebody was better than me, but I wouldn't let it, you know, get to me on the field because I knew that whenever my number was called, I was going to make the most out of my opportunity. So ended up in junior college. Uh, I got a couple, you know, interest from other, you know, Division One schools, D- Division Two schools, but more, like most likely we were a lower level junior college school. Like our school didn't even have like or even give out scholarships. So I went there with a bunch of the guys, you know, who couldn't cut it academically at uh, at first Coast High School, you know, but they were still great guys. They were great players. You know, I was able to learn a lot from them. We ended up going to junior college together, and my sophomore year, I ended up uh, being like in the top. 15 in the NJCAA and, and kickoff return yardage. And I ended up almost being an All-American, but I ended up losing because there was a guy from a rival school called uh, Ridgewater College. I ended up having more kickoff return yardage. He ended up having more punt return yardage. I had a kickoff return touchdown. He had a punt return touchdown. So the NJCAA and the Minnesota like the Athletic Commission or whatever it is for uh, for JUCO here ended up you know flipping a coin toss and he was able to get the All American honors for special teams because of a coin toss. So it was kind of like one of those things that was like you know it is what it is. I guess you know it was fine. So. It's almost like the 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 spelling bee uh, that happened a couple of days ago is just like that's a a unique way to declare a winner, you know, like the spelling bee they they ran out of words or whatever, so they had eight winners. So in, in your case, they just basically you guys were tied and they flipped a coin. Flipped a coin, and I still wow. and I still blame my coach for that because he called the wrong side, so I blame him. He called the wrong side, but, <laughs> right? But it is what you know. It, it is what it is. While you were in school, like through high school and doing all this stuff, were you hunting all through this time as well? Was this something that was introduced to you early on? Yeah, uh, I come from a I come from a really big hunting, trapping, and, and fishing family. You know, it's like um, like my posts you see on Instagram. You know, um, being an outdoorsman is a family tradition for me. You know, um, grandparents done it. You know, their grandparents done it. As a matter of fact, like this tradition is so strong. Like you know, I still have family members that stay in the same places where our family was introduced in the slavery era. Like that's how deep the tradition runs in my family when it goes down to to hunting and fishing. You know, we have tons and tons of pictures and family photos that, you know, if I were down in Florida, I'd be able to get them and share them with you guys. But, you know, I have to, you know, get on my dad about sending me some of them because I know a lot of people like seeing some of those older photos, you know. But hunting for me, I've been hunting for as long as I can remember. My dad started taking me hunting when I was around the age of maybe three to four years old. I know you're from the South, from South Carolina. So, you know, uh, he introduced me to hunting by going dig dog hunting. That was one of the first forms of hunting I was able to do. And my dad was, was, you know, he was mostly the dog man whenever he would go because my dad was a great dog trainer so he'd always train you know some of the best walker hounds and some of the best blue ticks that some of the people that knew him would always know and respect what he would have in the back of his truck you know he could always say you know son uh, we don't ever have any months or any of those uh, non-deer runners in the back of my truck you know he would always get rid of them and you know when it came down to puppies you know if they weren't they weren't producing at a young age you know he would always sell them and get rid of them and always try to keep the best of the best but 
as I got older, I had my uncle. You know, I love my uncle. My uncle's like a second father to me, you know, whenever my dad was working because, you know, he worked really to provide for us public for over 20 some plus years whenever my dad was working on weekends and stuff like that he knew that i was very passionate about hunting i was very passionate about fishing so what he would do is he would come by and i still think they butt heads about this you know when i was younger because i knew that if i ever wanted to go hunting and fishing on the weekends all i had to do was call my uncle he would come and pick me up he would he would literally <laughs> he would he wouldn't even call and ask my mom he would not call and ask my dad if I called my uncle, he was coming to pick me up, and we were going hunting, and we were going fishing. And it wasn't just me, you know. Um, my uncle, my great-grandma has seven kids. She has five boys, two girls. So my uncle made it a pact to always, you know, try to take as many of his nieces and nephews out into the woods and out on the water as possible. And, you know, that was something that we've always done. And so all throughout, you know, elementary school and middle school and even high school and college, you know, we've all hunted, you know, um, I kind of got sad, you know, when I started realizing that, you know, whenever my uncle, he's getting up in age now, his health isn't always the best right now. Cause I think he has a, uh, he has emphysema and he has asthma. So his lungs are really bad. So he doesn't really go out and hunt as much, as much as he used to. Cause when I left off for college back in 2012, you know, he started hunting less and less because, you know, I was out there, you know, taking care of him. You know, I was out there, you know, hanging stands for him, getting corn, everything set up, you know, checking the trail cameras, doing all this stuff, you know, for him so I could make it easier on him because I knew that he wanted to hunt. But sometimes during the week, you know, he would be too tired from work to go out and do the stuff that you would have to do in order to harvest the deer. So I would always pick up the slack. So, you know, whenever I would get done, you know, with a football practice or weightlifting or, you know, basketball or baseball, I would jet back over to his house, hop on the wheeler, put corn out, feed his dogs, you know, clean out some of the kennels and, and help him out as best I could. But for my family, you know, um, hunting and fishing has been something that we've always done. Like we've all, I can't think of a time where my family has, you know, has, has never hunted and fished. And, and growing up in North Florida, our city that I grew up in is called Hilliard, Florida. So we're right with the last city before you get into uh, Charlton County, Georgia. So with like the bands, Florida, Georgia line, literally that's where we live at. Like we're right there on the line. The only thing that splits us up between us and Georgia, you know, is the river. That's it. Mostly wow. everybody in my family, you know, we've always hunted. We've always fished. We've gotten into hog hunting. You know, that was something that was kind of new to us when we got some property. Maybe I want to say early 2005 2006 you know we purchased a good little size of a swamp there was maybe 70 70 80 acres wow and we had been noticing because the, the property butts up it butts up to a farm you know a cook farm a lot of my, my people that are listening to this from Callahan, florida know exactly what i'm talking about on bypass road it butts up the cook's property cook you know um somebody in the area started letting go some of these wild feral hogs because I know there's there are problems in Florida, there are problems in Georgia, Alabama, and, and a lot of places on the south, especially the southeast coast. So yep, yep. they started being introduced more and more into the area as they started, you know, populating like they do because, you know, they don't have a specific time of year when they breed, they breed all year. We started, you know, hog hunting a little bit later, maybe 2006, 2007, and then that's what really hit sparked some of my interest in the hog hunt because, you know, we started, you know, killing some of these hogs, you know, to, to get them off of the property in the off season. And sometimes we would see them during the season, but it's almost like, you know, they'll come through our property depending on a specific time of the year. When it's summertime, they would always be on our property because we have the swamps, which will typically keep them cooler. And we would always try to run some minerals and attractants and, and stuff like that for, you know, the deer during the summer so they can get the, the vitamins and proteins and stuff that they need to grow. They would always come in. So we started hunting them, you know, during the summers and during the spring and even sometimes during hunting season. So now do, do y'all run them with dogs? Now, we've had people that have asked us to come in and do it, but I always say that I, I got a good old uh, 
I got a group of good old boys from uh, from Callahan, Florida. Cody Godwin and Mike Park with the A Team Hog Dogs. I'll probably have to have you guys look at them and share some of the hogs they catch. You know, they've all they would always get on to me about, you know, asking my dad or asking my uncle, you know, to let them come out in a hog hunt. But the thing about that is, you know, you got a lot of people that you know that they do not take trespassing lightly. And right. We don't have any fences or major fences in between our property and their property. And, you know, the game warden does not take it lightly when you're running animals like that onto somebody else's property. And then you have to trespass to go in there and get them. And, you know, like those hog dogs do, they could bay five, six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred yards away, depending on where those hogs are at. And Right. They don't know borders. Yeah. Like, you, you know what some of those southern swamps are like, you know. We have some places that, that have alligators in their water moccasins, cottonmouths, you know, you name it. Your typical Florida swamp. So, I would always have those guys, they would get on to me in football practice, like, hey, did you ask your dad we can come out, you know, ask your uncle we can come out, you know, and, and chase some of these hogs, but... It's something that, you know, that I want to do. And if I probably ever do it, I'll probably get with some of those guys, you know, like Mike Park and Cody Godwin. I'll, I'll end up sharing some of the stuff that they got. So, I mean, those good old boys in Callahan that grew up same as I did, hunting, fishing, playing sports. And uh, if I have to say that something that was introduced to our family kind of late in the heritage in our generation, it's probably hog hunting. Everything else, you know, trapping, raccoons, possums, you name it, basically, our family, we, we got somebody that does it or eat it so growing up as a kid that was my, <laughs> my that was my favorite thing to do you know i would always go out and try and get gray squirrel or sometimes uh cottontail rabbits would always be like one of my favorite small game animals to try and target because you know i always had a bb gun growing up so i had a daisy power line 8880 shout out to daisy i would always have one of those <laughs> not the old daisy Wow. The Daisy Powerline 8880. This was before Gammo and all the one-caught BB guns were, were, were even coming in coming into play. I would always try to get up, you know, and my dad my dad would probably tell you this, too, that I got in trouble for it a lot, too. You know, uh, as a kid growing up, if I didn't have or if I had a basketball game later around 8 or 9 a.m., the minute it would be daylight, I would throw on my mossy oak camel, grab my BB gun, grab some pellets, and I would work my way out into the woods. And all I would hear, you know, when my dad would wake up and they would realize that I wasn't in my room, uh, they would yell some things that I can't repeat, but it would always end to get my, you know, myself back in the house. So I would always do that. So growing up, that was always fun to me. And we would all, we would always like to find somebody in the community that would either eat the rabbits and the squirrels that we would give, or we would eat them ourselves. So, because a lot of the people in the community would, would be up in age, they would be they would be older. So we would always, you know, trap the raccoons, clean them, give them to them. Because you know, with that southern heritage and growing in the south, uh, you know, a lot of people would like eating raccoons. Some of them would even eat possum and ask us if we we trapped any of them or if we got any of them, you know, to give them to them. So we would always right. end up doing that. So as a kid, that was always something that we loved doing. I would imagine that no matter how mad your dad was at you when you came back with a couple of squirrels or a couple of rabbits or whatever, I was, I'm pretty sure that that squared you guys away. It did, but he would always be bad because, you know, when you kill those types of animals, you would always get blood and stuff on you. So he wouldn't want me out on the basketball court, you know, with, with the blood under my fingernails or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Or, right. or something like that. So you grew up in North Florida, and then your dad, I saw the picture with your dad hunting in South Carolina uh, yep. with his friend, and like yep. you were saying, running dogs in South Carolina. What parts of uh, South Carolina, and was that just like a road, like a road trip that your dad would take uh, every year? 
Well, in the early 90s, when I was just, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper, he would always deer dogs hunt. I think the name of their hunt club, if, if I'm remembering the stickers on the back of that that, uh, that Z71 right, the name of their club was called, uh, I want to say Catholic Hill Hunting Club. So somewhere in South Carolina, it was an all, which is, which is rare nowadays, it was, it was an all-black hunting club. And they own property in South Carolina, you know, like most hunting clubs do. They would have like these tree companies that would lease the property out to them and they would do that. But my dad, that deer that he killed with uh, with the late Pastor R.J. Washington, um, who had the tightest harvest uh, dome, who, uh, who's, who's broadcasted, you know, almost every Sunday on the TBN network. He found out that uh, the R.J. Washington was a hunter, too, so they ended up getting together one or two times. They ended up going to Georgia because uh, R.J. had property in Georgia, so they hunted in Georgia together. Then they had somebody invite them come up to hunt their property in South Carolina, so my dad went. And I was a little bit jealous at the time because I remember us, we weren't speaking at that time. That I would always hear about all these other kids that are going on these hunting trips with their other family members, you know, and with their dad. And I'm finally of age to go. And he didn't want to take me with him because he was invited, you know, as a guest. It was one of those things as a child, you know, you don't really think much about it. But as I got older, I was able to understand that, you know, he was a guest. So how can he bring, you know, his son with him when he's a guest as well? So, yeah, he shot. Right. That was his, his last uh his last book and his biggest book to date, he shot that back in 2008. I remember I was in eighth grade when he shot that one with Pastor R.J. Washington. But R.J. Washington lost uh, he lost a battle to, to cancer here not too long ago. I want to say maybe three going on almost four years ago. But uh, my dad has always hunted in the Carolinas, and we've always had groups. Because, you know, some of us Southern hunters, you know, they would always travel to different states to hunt deer, and it was no different for my dad either. So he had a couple of buddies that he worked with from Publix and from uh, one of his best friends named James, you know, who works at General Motors. Uh, they would always go out and go, go and hunt South Carolina and North Carolina. So they would do it deer dog hunting. And sometimes, you know, when he got older and he got into working more to provide for the family. He quit deer dog hunting and started only still hunting down in uh, uh, northeast florida that was something that they had done since since the 90s he's still still doing a lot of still hunting uh till this day well uh he once he retired from Publix, he went independent with his own truck and uh with his own 18 wheeler truck so it was like he doesn't hunt as much as he wants to now because he's he's self-employed so he works a lot more but he can choose to take off when he wants to but he doesn't i know right now he has his hands full uh with my mom because my younger sister has three kids, so they're always babysitting the three kids whenever she's going to work. So he can't get out and hunt as much as he wants to. The last time he hunted was when he came up with me back in 2017 when we hunted in Wisconsin. And, you know, he had a blast. Uh, he still gets on to me about me not letting him shoot, like, you know, a, a two-year-old whitetail that was running across in front of him. I think we even got it on picture, too. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was, it was a big two-year-old. I mean, he was close to 200, 205 pounds, but he wanted to shoot it because he only hunted in the South his entire life. So when he got up here to the Midwest, he was able to see how big these whitetails are when you get up here. And that was one of the biggest shocks for me, too, was when I first came over, just seeing the difference in these deer body sizes and stuff like that and the genetics that come with it. So Yes. Yes, especially compared to Florida, like the deer that I see back home in Georgia and South Carolina, when you start talking about Wisconsin and Illinois and places like that, man, he, these deer are monsters. They make our deer look like little babies. Yeah, they do. And a lot of people think that they should be easy to kill because they look that little. And I try to tell people all the time, you know, when they ask me and they mess me, you know, if you could choose to hunt in the north or the south, which one would you choose to hunt in? I was like, you know, it's always hard for me when I, when people ask me that question because, you know, um, growing up hunting in the south, there's so many different species that you can hunt you can stay hunting year round like when deer season is over with you can hunt wild hog year round on your property 
property and everything else like that. But growing up here in the Midwest, as I became a man, you know, hunting season only one time a year. After that, you don't have anything else you can hunt. Then you got to wait until turkey season. But I never really turkey hunt. In Minnesota, the turkey population isn't that high. It's starting to boom. It's starting to boom now due to their reproduction and they're migrating to different parts of the state. But when I first got here in 2012, I, I could really count, you know, the number of encounters that I've had with turkeys on one hand. And then now it's like I see flocks of, you know, of 20 or 30 birds, you know, on, on the lease now. It's grown and it's getting different. What brought you to Minnesota and Wisconsin? Because I know for me, it was work. And, you know, when people ask me, it's like, you know, which do I prefer? You know, obviously I like hunting at home because you're on your own place. You kind of know, yeah. you know, where things are and stuff like that. But I also tell people that one of the best things about living in the Midwest is being able to hunt these deer and then duck hunt and goose hunt and, and, uh, turkey hunt and the fishing up here. So, but what brought you to Minnesota and, uh, in Wisconsin? Well, what originally brought me to Minnesota was back in 2012, I went to junior college. So that's what brought me here. I, I came to pursue uh, an education and play football, and I was able to do that. So uh, I went to Fond du Lac Tribal and Community College. It's the only tribal and community college in the entire you know country. And I take I take a lot of pride in that because it's, uh, it's an American Indian school. Culturally, I got to come and learn firsthand about the American Indian culture. And it's just, it's one of the most beautiful cultures that, you know, that, that we have on the planet, in my opinion. So our nice. school. That is definitely a great experience. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it. To be honest, it was kind of it was kind of different for me because you know being an 18 year old kid growing up down uh, in almost a melting pot down in Florida where we have so many different you know cultural diversities down there. You grew up with it. You know, you grew up you know associating and communicating and interacting with people that have different races. So then when I got up here in the Midwest, like it is, you know, um, we don't have a lot of cultural diversity up here. And then for God to bring me to find the like Tribal Community College, you know, uh, the only American Indian college and tribal and community college in the entire country. You know, it was a blessing to learn more about somebody else's culture, you know, while I'm in school. You know, um, we have powwows, you know, we have blessings, we have feasts, we have different types of things that you get to actually see firsthand, you know, not something that you're like, it's different when you're watching on TV and you see certain things that are portrayed differently, but to actually watch it firsthand right in front of you and it's primary information, like it's, it's amazing just watching a drum fest. It's amazing showing up to a feast. Like I, I couldn't have been more blessed to, to go to the college where I was at. And luckily for me, I was able to walk away from two degrees from that college. I was able to walk away with my AS in law enforcement and my AA. And, you know, that's a blessing. I was the first person in my family to go to college, my immediate family to go to college, and then to graduate with two degrees within two years, you know, it, it was a major blessing for me. Wow. And then you just stayed up there and continued to work and, and uh, pursue your career in uh, law enforcement? Yeah, yeah, man, and, that, and that's and that's that's been all I've done. You know, I went and I played football for the University of Minnesota Duluth, and uh, they just won the men's Division One hockey national championship two years in a row back to back. But you know, what a lot of people don't yep. know is that, you know how dominant their football team is. Their football yep. team is a very dominant team as well. So I had an opportunity at the University of Minnesota Duluth as well. So I've continued to stay here and I've continued to work and kind of get those jobs that, that are going to give me the experience that I needed to whenever I start my career in law enforcement. I can rely on that experience so I can be the best, you know, officer I, I can be for whatever department or agency that decides to invest in me. I can't really complain too much about it. And growing up in Florida, too, has, has taught me a lot. You know, when it comes down to learning the streets and learning some of these uh, about these, these differences and these subtle differences in communities and different, you know, dialects and different contents of the United States. So growing up in the South has helped me a lot tremendously. And 
living in the Midwest has helped me a lot tremendously. So and going in the long form, I'm able to rely on some of that, you know, that upbringing from being in the South and, you know, communicating with different races and, and coming up to the Midwest and communicating with people of different races. It helps me communicate greatly. And in law enforcement, you know, um, communication is probably the next most important thing other than safety. Right. Communication is key. Even in some of my experiences working as, you know, as a correctional officer and, and as a security officer right now at, at a major hospital, I get to use my, my, my verbal judo is what they say in law enforcement and my de-escalation skills almost daily. It's a tough environment to work in from time to time, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm a security officer right now, but I'm being backgrounded by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. But I'm also going through skills right now so I can become a Minnesota licensed peace officer. So I, I have to go through skills so I can take the post test. So I have a few departments that are interested in me. And I'm still, you know, going to school finally because when I graduated, I was in a weird place because your, your skills certification is only good for three years. So whenever I graduated from the university, I mean, whenever I graduated from Final Light Tribal Community College, I had to make a decision. Am I going to go through skills right now while I'm going through, you know, going to go through school at the University of Minnesota Duluth for the next two years and only leave myself one year with my post eligibility and with my skills to get a job? So I had to talk with my family, talk with my coaches and prayed on it. So I decided not to go through skills. And now here I am, you know, like uh, five years later going back through skills. So now I've matured. Now I have a little bit of a job resume underneath me. I have a little bit more life experience going into that next chapter of my law enforcement career. So I can't, you know, I can't complain too much. You know, I've been blessed. It sounds like you've made the adjustment uh, from Florida to Minnesota pretty well, because I know for me, you know, it wasn't as bad this time around because I had lived in the Northeast. So I've lived in the cold and was able to make that adjustment. But um, for you, it sounds like you're, you're making it pretty well and you got a successful uh career and you got um some great places to hunt yeah uh for me the the transition you know when i first got up you know it was hard uh it was it was extremely hard because you know i went from being around you know family members and loved ones to going to, to getting on a plane flying 1500 miles across the country and not knowing anyone other than my football coaches and some of the gentlemen that i had trained with from you know from first coast high school you know and my first semester it was kind of like it, it was really tough trying to adjust to the college lifestyle because you know you didn't have mom waking you up anymore you didn't have dad you know telling you to get up and go do this so you can get ready for school and do that and get ready for school you know you had to have a lot of self-discipline you know and um i had a great teacher um named miss roberts my senior year in high school you know something she had said to me earlier in my senior year of high school as an african-american man you know um i know there's not a lot that's going to be expected of us growing up in Florida because, you know, most, most African-American men growing up in Florida by the age of 18 are supposed to be, you know, like either dead or in jail or, or been shot or have been taken over by the streets. But luckily for me, you know, I, I've always had a family that's loved and that has cared for me and have gave me that out with being an outdoorsman. So I've been able to hunt. I've been able to fish. I've been able to play sports. I've been able to grow up, you know, into a good family with great tradition and great morals and great ethics. So my senior year, she was one of the teachers that, that it pushed me the most. And, I, and to be honest i hate her you know i had i had a girlfriend you know my girlfriend was in my class you know i was trying to be the class clown and everything like that you know i'm on the football <laughs> team you know I, I, I got another best friend you know uh who was another african-american man you know um he was very successful as well he was in the class with me in the first and like literally the first day of class she pulls both of us to the side and tells us write down your mother's phone number write down your father's phone number so i'm looking you know i'm looking at my homie and he's looking at me i'm like what you know like what is her deal and she told us, she's like, 
I'm telling you right now, I know the potential that you guys have. You're smart. I know you guys can do better than what you've been doing. Academically, I'm going to push you guys. And I know the coach's, you know, name. I know his telephone number. And, you know, we always thought that she was bluffing, you know, about this kind of stuff. Literally, the second week of school, she made us go and get, you know, uh, progress reports signed by all of my teachers. She's like, I don't expect anything less than a 3.0 each nine weeks from both of you guys. And I was like, you know, like this lady, like this lady is, is really crazy. Like she's acting like, you know. She's acting like she runs the show or whatever, right? Right. So then going through that with her, you know, uh, she told me early in the year she wanted me to write down, you know, five, you know, five goals I wanted to do. And she made everyone in the class do it. So she made me write down a goal. And she told me in five years, I'm going to come back and see her. And I'm going to bring back those college, you know, those college degrees. And I'm like, oh, she's crazy. You know, I, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to go to college. I don't even know if I'm even going to like college, you know, kind of thing. And she ended up being hard on me that entire year. You know, and it ended up resulting in the best because I was able to get the test scores I needed to get into college. And I was able to be everything that she saw in me. And when I got to college my freshman year, something she had said to me, you know, had, had really stuck out to me. Right. She told me, DJ, there's a few things that can happen to you when you get to college. She was like, you can be an athlete and play for however many years until your eligibility runs out. You can get there and play and get hurt and walk away with nothing. She said, you can show up to college, you can walk away with some debt and some injuries from playing football, or you can show up, get a degree, and transfer to another four-year university if you want to. She was like, you have unlimited possibilities, but there is one thing that's going to happen. If you don't have the self-discipline that you need to get up and go to the class, the mom and dad ain't going to be there for you. They're not going to wash your clothes. They're not going to feed you. You're going to be on your own. Like, you're going to be responsible for your grades. You're going to be responsible for, for being the man that you need to be. I'm not going to be there for you. Like, I've already went to college. I have my degree. And, she, you know, she points to hers over on the desk and everything else like that. I want you to get to that point. I'm going to tell you how you can get to that point. And sure enough, she told me, you're going to come back in five years and you're going to thank me for everything that I'm telling you now. So I was able to come back and show her both my degrees. And she ended up crying. She was like, I saw that in you. I knew that was in you. And I pushed you to get that. But that degree isn't for me. That degree is for you. She's like, that, those two degrees that you got right there are going to be able to help you get more jobs. You're going to get paid better. And you're going to be able to have a better life because you were able to go to college and do what you wanted to do, regardless of all your football accomplishments. She goes, those two are going to be your greatest accomplishments. And wow. She, you know, she didn't lie to me about that. It was almost like, you know, she was able to predict what was going to happen because she had been there. And she, and, you know, she kind of, she had the experience. So I was happy to have some individuals that were going to push me to be where I wanted to be. And even, you know, with coaches. Help you set the table, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know. First, you know, I kind of thought, she, you know, she was talking crazy, you know, like, you know, she's just trying to bully us, so to say, or uh, just, you know, I thought she was just acting silly, but no, she was just, she was just telling people how it was going to go. And it went exactly how she said it was going to go. And and the wow. same thing went, went on, uh, happening with one of my best friends, too. He was able to go to college, play football for four years, and he was able to get, you know, his bachelor. So it was like, we did what she said, you know, she was going to do and what she wanted us to do and the goals that we set. So that was probably one of the roughest roughest things was like that that initial first semester was probably the roughest part in that transition but when it came down to hunting and fishing i hated it because it was it was not like you know growing up in florida growing up in florida hunting and fishing you know is legal to bait right and in minnesota like you can't bait there you're not allowed to bait when i got here my main priority was you know was my education and was football with my education and with football and everything going like that you know i didn't really have a lot of time to hunt because I was always at football practice. You know, football season is always during hunting season. So it's like 
you know, you can never get away from it. Like you, you can pray that coach lets you out early today so you can go ahead and try to get this <laughs> stand. Or, you know, if you got a, you got a home game this weekend, you can try to hope that coach gives you Sunday all, but that wasn't right. how it went. So those first initial, because it took me four years to finally get my first buck in Minnesota. It took me four years. And that was on public land? No, actually, actually the, the two bucks that I've harvested have all been on, you know, uh, leases. I've had opportunities at deer on public land, but it was one of those things where it's like, you know, I didn't want to shoot some of the bucks that I was finding because, you know, as a hunter, I won't really say that I'm out hunting trophies because everybody always has like their own definition of what a trophy buck is, what a trophy animal is. Like I want to shoot right. something that is going to provide meat for my family and something that's going to look nice on my wall for how many years to come so my kids and grandkids can see, you know, what their grandfather did, the same as I did growing up, same as I watched with my father growing up. So those first four years really got me, really got me the most because I wasn't being a complete hunter. When you have bait out, you can kind of hunt a little bit, you know, uh, lazier than you would without having bait. Like I wasn't, I wasn't experienced as I am now to make the adjustments that I knew I needed to make in order to get better. And with public land, like it's, it's already one of the toughest places to harvest an animal at because of all the hunting pressure. And here in Minnesota, what sucks the most is their small game season always opens the same exact day as archery season. So you can be running trail cameras, getting pictures of nice deer the entire, you know, the entire summer, the entire part, you know, going into the early season. But opening morning, you can always count on those deer starting to drop, starting to push back deeper into the woods because of the amount of hunt pressure that are coming in. They're hearing gunshots from bird hunters coming in, you know, grouse hunting. You know, some ponds will have people out duck hunting or, you know, goose hunting. So those first four years the hardest for me because I wasn't, I wasn't doing the things that I needed to do. I wasn't making the adjustments that I needed to make because I was completely out of my element as compared to hunting down in Florida. Hunting down in Florida, I knew my property from front to back. I knew, you know, what phases I needed to to hunt these certain locations. And being here in Minnesota, not knowing anything about hunting in the Midwest other than watching it on TV, I was completely almost like lost in a sense. Like I was, I was lost. So then, you know, I finally got done, you know, playing football and everything. And I was done with school and I was working full time. So, you know, I, I was able to go ahead and acquire a lease. So I acquired a lease. I got the lease maybe in October because, you know, I just got tired of hunting public land, right. finding good deer, finding good spots, but I wasn't getting the daylight pictures that I needed to get because I wasn't hunting them properly. So I was like, well, maybe I need to quit trying to tough it out on public land and get out on a lease and maybe see that the techniques that I'm using are effective. I'm just hunting too many places that have a lot of common pressure and not enough deer, if you can kind of get what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because, like you said, when you're on public land, not only is it just you, you're dealing with everybody else. And not only are they out there hunting deer, but you got, you know, your squirrel, your small game hunting stuff. And all that stuff is just even more added pressure on the deer. So, yeah, no, I I totally get it. But I want to switch gears real quick because I also noticed, like, with your YouTube channel, uh, did you start that around the same time you acquired a lease? And will you be making more videos uh, this hunting season? Uh, I started my YouTube channel at the start of uh, the 2017 season. And what a lot of people don't know, some dudes, my close friends know this. When I killed my buck in the 2016 season, he was less than seven yards away from me. And what's upsetting is I had my GoPro and my action camera right in front of me. And I didn't even turn either one of them on because I was just so, you know, (laughs) 
it, it was just one of those things where I was like, I was so amazed at this buck is like right here in front of me because that whole entire, you know, sequence of events when I killed that buck back in 2016 was crazy. The winters here in Minnesota are typically severely cold. Like my first winter here in 2012 was, was a record breaking year with snowfall. I mean, we had snow on the ground, you know, still to, I want to say probably close to almost in the middle of June. So right. crazy. And you're you're being modest. You can just go ahead and say awful because that's why I describe winter here in Wisconsin. Any time that winter starts basically in October and doesn't yeah. end, and like you yeah. said, until the first week of June, uh, especially coming from where we're coming from, yeah. I categorize as awful. But continue. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> what was so strange to me because I I had only had the lease for like three weeks, so I, I ended up throwing out a bunch of those wild game innovations trail cameras out throwing them out here and there trying to bounce them around the lease was only maybe 60 acres but 40 of it was hardwoods and then another 20 of it was a hay field and it made the shape of a boomerang so the neighbors across must have 400 acres that they own they still own it they got 400 acres so when i got the lease the landowner told me to walk over and introduce myself to the neighbors and whatnot and it's like you know there's not a lot of cultural diversity up here. So it's like, so me being a man of color walking up to somebody else's house is a complete stranger. You know, I'm trying not to get shot, but I'm trying to trying to introduce myself and, and let them know that I'll be hunting here. I'll be hunting there and everything else like that. You know, that kind right. of stuff going on. So I've done that. It's November 1st. And in November, for the first five years that I've been there, never, never have I ever got 50 to 60 degree temps in November in Minnesota. Never have I got those. So I was spending time with my son, my oldest child, uh, Colton. He was maybe two months old, going on three months, because he'll be three here uh, this August here in a couple of months. So I was spending time with them. I told the lady, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to get out and go check my trail camera. So, you know, I packed up all my stuff. I got in the truck. I started driving, you know, and she called me midway down the road and told me, you know, well, why don't you bring your boat? So I'm like, oh, I'm just taking trail cameras on the edge of the field. I'm not going to need it. So I just got that hunch that, you know, I need to go ahead and turn around and go back, you know, and, and grab my bow. So turned around, went back and got it. Keep in mind, I have on a Rocky Camouflage Realtree AP zipper hoodie. I'm wearing black sweatpants and steel-toed boots, like steel-toed work boots that stink really bad because of all the, the hours and miles I've been putting on them, you know, hunting, fishing, all that stuff. <laughs> right, so, right. So I get out into a section because uh, always that first weekend in November – is a rifle opener. Here in Minnesota, a lot of people do not bow hunt. A lot of people don't bow hunt. You get more people in the woods. Put it like this. In November, the Minnesota DNR website always crashes because they sell more licenses in that first week in November than they do when archery opens up in September. Wow. That's how many people go out and try and get into the woods for rifle season. That's bananas. And, and to be honest, I love it. I love it because it means there's mostly less people in the woods and you have all that time to get out and enjoy that good weather right. before people come out. But I get to the lease. I just set up a lock-on tree stand. And you can even go see my, my Instagram post from back then. I went and hung up like a, a lock-on tree stand for that weekend because I was going to try to you know go out with my rifle if I could. So I get into the hardwood set. You know, I pulled out the Hoyman tree saw, so I'm trimming a limb, and I trim a limb, and it drops. And then when it drops, I jumped up five does that were bedded maybe 70, 80 yards downwind of me in one of the little funnels. So when I get mad, I get done hanging it up. I put the camera tripod up in the tree, and I get down. So I go sit in the ground blind. So I, I sit in the ground blind for like 10 minutes. I'm, God, I'm not going to see anything. So I pick up. I grab up the camera and the tripod and everything, and I start you know, walking to another edge of the field. I purchased a buck commander, like little stool, like those little three-pivot stools that they have. 
I purchased it a few days ago to sit in the ground box. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit on the opposite side of the field, and I'm just going to sit in the butt command the chair and sit in the brush. I get over, I sit down, I do my field, you know, initial interview, you know, saying everything that you say, like the time and the weather and everything else like that, introducing yourself. And I take the GoPro off and I put it down. The neighbor cranks up a tractor and drives along the fence line because they have cattle. And he goes start picking up hay bales and he's moving them around. So I can't really hear because the tractor is so loud. It's echoing down in front of me. So I'm just sitting in the brush. It's almost like the scene in a movie where you hear the horse's hooves running, like you can hear something running. So I look to my right because I'm thinking whatever it is is running, but it's getting ready to come out of the woods on my right. I turn my head to my left, and this buck is less than 30 yards, and he's trotting straight for me because I don't know if he was bedded up on the fence line at the neighbor's property, and they kicked him up, which is what I assume would happen. And he's just running like beeline straight, like straight for me. And I'm in the brush, and I'm sitting like, my, like you could barely see the top of my head in the brush. So I, like he, he didn't have a clue that I was there. He stops running and he comes down to, to, he's like, he's trotting and he goes to walk off into the brush, maybe 13, 14 yards away from me. So I flip my bow up out of my lap, you know, cause I had it sitting in my lap. So I, I flip it up vertically so I can draw back. He sees me do that. He comes out of the brush and starts walking, like trying to figure me out with his head down. And I'm like, oh my God, like, is he really this stupid, right? And he's walking in front of me. And finally, where he got to where he was almost directly in front of me. So I drew back. When I drew back, he kind of done the thing where you get a deer that's getting ready to run across the road, but it decides not to, and it almost like it, it braces itself. And when he done that, I went ahead and I shot him, and he ran about maybe 60 yards, and that was how I got my first buck in Minnesota. Wow. Man. And the thing, and the thing that upset me the most was I had my GoPro camcorder. I didn't even hit record on my GoPro, and I didn't even hit record on my, on my camcorder. And he was less than 10 yards like i was able to take a picture on top of the blood from where i made the, the initial shot like the impact shot on it mm -hmm. i took the picture of it and i posted it to show how close it was and i ended up you know recording me walking in there you know once i you know i got my wits about me and i started recording everything and me walking in the track and everything like that and that was my first video to go over ten thousand views and i kept having a lot of people telling me you know you needed to make a youtube channel and so i finally did I ended up making a YouTube channel and filming a lot more that 2017 season than I did last year. Man, that is amazing. Because I know even with a lot of my um, self-filming uh, attempts, they don't always go well because once the animal gets there, you know, your focus automatically shifts into what you got to do yeah. in order to make the kill. So I, I always applaud people that are that are able to self-film. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. And some people who've never done it they say oh it's it's easy to sell film i always tell them like man you're more than welcome to go out and buy some equipment and do it yourself right when you have those white tails that are on you and within shooting range the slightest movement of you up in that tree on that ground blind they're alert exactly. the jig is up exactly it's up same thing with like, turkeys there's nothing, there's nothing exactly like the jig is up and some people don't understand that but you know you probably noticed from experience too, like when you're putting things out on social media, you have some people that try to, you know, bring hate and bring negativity towards it. And I don't, you know, it's like I don't receive a lot of that because a lot of people see how hard I work when it comes down to my hunting and how hard I go when it's time to my fishing. Like my father always taught me, everything you do, son, you do it 100%. Right. You work as hard as you can. Last year was almost the same thing. You know, I got that, you know, I got my buck that I called the Deer Cast 9, 44 hunt into the season. And, I was out there him hard. I had two encounters with him, 
and I was able to see him both times. He was out of bow range, but it was just one of those things where I got lucky. Man, so the last thing that I want to bring bring up real quick before we get out of here because I saw it and I I read it and I thought it was really remarkable how you handled it because um I kind of went through something similar. You were out fishing last year and had an encounter with some folks and they were kind of harassing you and stuff like that. And you, the way that you handle it was very, you know, textbook, very, you know, respectful and whatnot. And what made me think about this is what you were just saying, you know, about handling the haters and stuff and, you know, what your dad said to you and whatnot. Did that kind of just kind of like come back to you and was just like, all right, let me, you know, try to diffuse this situation before it turns up into something big? Yeah. Um, you know, some things that you have that happen, you know, it's like you got to be able to think, you know, um, is this incident like really worth, you know, like getting angry about like almost like with uh, the hunter harassment that I went through last season or the time that you brought up about fishing. Like I understand that, you know, you get some people that are going to act that way and there's nothing you can do about it, but you can control how you respond and how you react to it. You know what I mean? No, so definitely. Yeah. I always make sure that when I, when I talk to people that I'm respectful, I act in a manner in which, if the authorities are called, I want to make sure that I'm not going to get in any trouble because I, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't say anything wrong. Right. You were on the side of you right. Know? Yeah. So it's like, but I had that fishing encounter. Like you even seen the video, you know, it was my first time fishing there. I apologize for things that I didn't even do or for previous events. And these people were trying to, uh, you know, antagonize us and tell us, you know, that we need to quit fishing in front of, you know, their property, whatever. And I get it. You know, if I work hard for something, too, and I kind of want a piece of privacy, I want a peace of mind for something that I purchased and something that I work hard for, I would ask somebody else if they could not do something there, too. But the manner in which it happened, it, they weren't respectful about it. And I'm from the South, so, like, approaching me about certain things, and you can probably you probably understand this, too. I don't have a problem talking with people, but it's, it's in the manner in which you approach me. Exactly. It's in the connections in your, in, in your body language. They didn't come out and say, hey, can we talk to you for a second? They came out of their screened-in little house thing or whatever it was, like yelling and swearing and cussing at them. <laughs> and I had to, you know, hit the top of my GoPro to make sure that they were still running. So that went off for probably maybe three or four minutes before we were able to get there. And if, if the wind wasn't so high, you guys would be able to hear a little bit more of it. But being that I want to go into law enforcement, I'm not trying to be one of these guys that, you know, that a department is going to be embarrassed on how I handle the situation or there's a video up of me being out of line and being out of character over something so minuscule. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. even the same thing with, with the hunting situation. So it's going to happen. And see, that, that's why I brought it up because – it's remarkable, at least to me, and I commend you for taking the high road because we already, as hunters, we get a bad rap to begin with. And a lot of times, you know, yeah. it it is from the anti-hunters, but sometimes we are we as hunters are our, our own worst enemies. So for me, just to see someone who took a situation like that, like you said, it could have been escalated and been, you know, completely horrible. You diffused it and then you worked it out. And then, you know, like I said, just being a good representative representative and being a good steward for hunters all around worldwide so that's why i bought it up because like i said i thought it was it was remarkable how you handled it and diffused it yeah i mean it's just it's just one of those things where it's like you know i'm kind of shocked that it happened but i'm not so surprised that it happened because it does happen so 
all I can do is control how I respond to it, you know. That's all I can do. Exactly, exactly. So, so DJ, before I get you out of here, like I said, you got your YouTube channel, you're on Instagram. Let folks know where they can find you because I know personally I want to see some more of your videos. So hopefully you break your camera out um, again this deer season and even out on the water when you're uh, with your uh, bass fishing. But let folks know where they can find you at. Oh, you guys can uh, can find me on Instagram at D Jones Outdoors and uh, YouTube at D Jones Outdoors. And it's spelled exactly, you know, how I just said it. It's D as in David, J as in Joshua, O-N-E-S, outdoors. It's a compound word, you know. There's no underscores. There's no asterisks. It's just D. Jones outdoors. And uh, that's where I put and promote a lot of my stuff at. Awesome. DJ, hey, man, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. And we'll catch up again soon. All right. Anytime. Uh, Thank you for having me on your show. Um, I really appreciate what you do as a great steward for the great outdoors you know we don't get a lot of people we get a lot of people in this industry who who try to do things for the wrong reasons who try to do things for likes who try to do things for shares like i enjoy having a conversation with somebody that's a like-minded individual as me when it comes to the great outdoors and that i know by going back through your history and listening back through your podcast what your goal is and what your vision is and what you promote like i i absolutely love that we get some people that they give us you know bad stereotypes and you're not one of those people. So that's why whenever you ask me to do it, I cleared my schedule. I was like, yep, I'm going to do it. Man, I appreciate that. I don't mind. I appreciate it. All right. Once again, thanks to DJ Jones for taking the time to stop by the Bryant Land Country Podcast. Definitely enjoyed talking to the young man and hopefully uh, looking forward to seeing uh, what he puts down this year during his uh, hunting season, especially up there in Minnesota. Uh, before I get out of here real quick, a couple things. Uh, happy belated Father's Day to all my fathers out there. I hope you guys had a great Father's Day. Hopefully you guys got uh, some good gift cards to the uh, Sporting Goods store of your choice. <laughs> yeah, um, I always you know a good gift on father's day it's what i tell you know my kids to get me also one more thing before i get out of here just make sure you check out the bryantlandcountry.com website bryantlandcountry.com we got merch we got videos and we got all the episodes of the bryantland country podcast so one stop man make sure y'all go and check that out i'm gonna go ahead and get out of here and i will catch you guys next week for another episode of the bryantland country podcast Thanks for listening to the Bryant Land Country Podcast, hosted by AB3. Please leave us a positive review and five-star rating on iTunes. Be sure to check out our podcast section on our website, bryantlandcountry.com, for previous podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Official Bryant Land and Twitter at 3 Land. This has been an AB3 Media Production. Join us next time for another edition of the Bryant Land Country Podcast.